Hey guys, for years, my background has been in the tech industry. I've been running a software agency where we create digital products for Silicon Valley startups and for huge enterprises. I've been running startups myself, creating mobile apps and what have you. This is still my main focus and perhaps it always will be because I love it, okay? But I started this channel first because I wanted to, I got bored on the weekends. And second, I wanted to sort of reinvent myself, so to speak, okay? And because of that, the more interesting to me actually is a person who did an exact opposite, okay? She had and still has remarkable success on YouTube. She gained 300,000 subscribers on her channel. And then she decided that it's not gonna be her main thing anymore and switched to a full-time career in tech. Okay, our guest today is Dasha Center, a software engineer and a very successful YouTube blogger. Let's go. Okay, uh, hey guys, uh, today our guest is uh, Daria Center, who achieved 300,000 subscribers on her YouTube channel, but then switched to a full-time career in tech. Daria, how are you today? Hey, doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for asking. So uh, you have 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. How much time did you spend to get there? I'm guessing this is more or less a full-time job, isn't it? Yes, it is, but I never considered it as one. I always considered it more, more to be like my side hobby, side project. So it would be very difficult for me to estimate the total number of hours I spend in it in total because I started it, what, like uh, five, six years ago now? Uh, and it kind of grew naturally. I, it was never my intention to just do that full time as the only thing I would be, be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's definitely a lot of time, you know, like everything, editing, um, looking for music without copyright, putting that together, kind of like planning, uploading, like uploading sometimes takes way longer than you expect, like an hour in total with writing all of those things, trying to optimize it for search engine. So I want to say like these days, if I am to make a video, excluding the time it takes for me to make the actual footage, mm -hmm. um, I can spend anywhere from like six to 15 hours just editing and then add an hour, hour or so for like exporting it and, and uploading it. Well, yeah. do you think that if you, I mean, your success is very remarkable. Do you think that if you started today and you were doing more or less the same thing, you would achieve similar numbers or the market has changed uh, quite a bit? I think the market has definitely changed. I think what distinguished me from what, when I started was lack of similar content. So I try to make things relatable and kind of show both day-to-day -day things, but also, I don't know, mention a couple of useful things every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people back when I started would only do like these, whatever was trending. So it was usually like a certain challenge or like type of video you explaining giving a category of like i don't know from what's in my bag to like a travel log 
and not nobody really did like a combination of different things like a compilation in one that's also kind of relatable so it would show how they do laundry you know like little things like that right um that was sort of my goal when i started you see all these online personalities and they just try to put their best picture forward and it's natural right we kind of do that as well when we meet people in real life but we what i noticed is we also tend to sympathize with people who don't try to hide their flaws and try to be relatable and mm -hmm. i wanted to do the same and so i think back when i started it slowly it wasn't it was never like a you know a mega growth that i noticed but word of mouth still works and it mm -hmm. worked back now so if i were to do exactly the same thing you know there is already one like dasha center on youtube so why would a person watch dasha center point two if there is point one so you always have to be different i think to succeed makes sense uh why did you make this wish i mean most people would only dream about having your numbers and i'm guessing this is this at your level this definitely can be the main source of income why did you switch to career in tech and i know you're still sort of maintaining the channel and you're still making videos but from what i understand this is not a super top priority for you anymore why so mm -hmm. well first of all i've always been a combination i've always had like the skill set of uh i don't know creative aspects of personality and more like technical and logical and i was right. always torn because i never thought of myself as like talented enough to pursue something purely creatively, or I never thought of myself as this like math genius that would only do something and focus on that and be like the best at that. Mm -hmm. um, but when I did gain some success and it became clear that one path would be for me to just pursue that full time and make that the only thing I do, I realized that I really don't wanna be like uh, Kim Kardashian in a sense, you know, she is a celebrity mm -hmm. for the sake of celebrity at this point. Like whatever she does is uh, newsworthy. And you see a lot of people like that in like the internet world as well on like YouTube and other types of blogs where people just gain popularity and they start doing things to kind of maintain that popularity. And that all, all often results in, you know, that basically is not something that appealed to me. I also realized that the value why my channel did grow was because I had some something outside of my channel that I was doing and I was kind of like projecting that. So at the time when I started, it was school, I was studying, I was studying computer science. I lived in New York. So, you know, all those different things that enrich my life, I kind of translated that um, into my channel. So if I were the only thing that I would be doing is just the channel itself, sure, like I would be able to what, show how I hang out with my friends, maybe like cook, travel. But that for me personally, putting myself in the shoes of the viewer, that eventually would kind of exhaust my interest. So right. I always realized that my probably what makes me interesting is that I pursue other things and choose to share them with, with the audience. So that's a very that's interesting point. That's a very interesting point. So basically we're saying that uh, blogging for the sake of blogging is not as interesting as just doing cool stuff in your life and then projecting that and sharing it on YouTube or whatever. Interesting. Um, 
Uh, for me personally, yeah, that's why like Elon Musk to me is more interesting than Kim Kardashian, you know? Oh yeah, right. That makes sense. Although he's still a blogger and he definitely yeah, tries he is. to so he leverage is doing that. something and chooses to share that and, right. you know, the world. Interesting. Uh, I mean, sometimes I feel that YouTube and basically the internet is overcrowded. Yet at other times, like YouTube doesn't have a lot of information for seemingly basic topics. What is the reason for that in your opinion? Like, is it bad compensation for creators? Is it the lack of creators? Is it something else? Like, why do you think the quality of content and for, for a lot of topics, the content is just not there. It just doesn't exist. What, what do you think is the reason? Hmm. I mean, market drives project, pr progress, right? So, for example, I agree with you that certain areas of content just don't have high quality content in there. Like, for example, um, my dad's a pilot, right? And he would love to have a lot of like pilot aviation related content. And I was actually the one like, let's find you someone to follow, you know, to, to sort of share your interests. Right. And, like, sure, there are some people but it's not as, as high quality as, as a lot of other stuff like I prefer to watch. And I think one of the reasons being the scope of the market. So it's much, much smaller and, you know, advertisers. So a lot of back in the day, like YouTube was kind of very like from scratch, kind of from, from zero to something, you know, people just started from their phones. And then even today, you don't actually have to have a lot of that expensive equipment or production team to mm -hmm. make interesting things. But if you do, a lot of the times that will also, so money basically brings in good content creators. Because there are people like me personally, I choose not to do that full time. But if my sole goal was just to make content and make it very watchable. So the thing that I would care is views. I would probably make better quality content than other people. That was actually my next question, because I read in an interview, Mr. Beast said he spends on average about $300,000 on just one single video on average right mm -hmm. so it's so it's more than a quarter of a million dollars per video right and you have to film a lot and in this context do you think like youtubers are the next movie production studios or you, you think there is still space for the small diy sort of guy i think that's what kind of distinguishes youtube like a couple years back and now is it is reminding more and more of like tv level production right. i actually just recently I was in a hotel in Palm Springs and I just turned on the TV because there was no speaker. I'm just used to listening to music. And it was the first time in forever when I turned the TV on. And you sure you see that production level, but I also realized that I actually don't watch TV. So the my only way of video consumption is either social media or YouTube. And mm -hmm. a lot of companies have noticed that a couple of years ago now and have started right. investing quite significant large sums of money into shows. Most most days it's just like shows with some sort of theme of their content. So I think it's happening already for sure, yeah. Uh, what's the unit economics of 
a YouTuber or a successful YouTuber, how many videos do you have to produce per month? If, if there is such a figure, how like all are all videos created equal? Do you earn mm -hmm. more or less the same from different, like from covering different industries and different topics? Can can you speak to me a bit sure. about that? Actually, coming back to the point that you mentioned that I chose to, you know, uh, switch into tech when I had sort of like a full time blogger career outlined in front of me and uh, a corresponding income. Yes and no. By Russian speaking Internet world market, if I were to live in my hometown, Minsk, I'm pretty sure I would be quite comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but considering that I live in the US, it's just a different scale of income. Mm -hmm. So my first point is it really depends on what your market is, where your audience is. So usually there are two ways um, YouTube or any other types of bloggers make money. It's either um, like integrated advertisement. So in YouTube, it's like ads, banner ads, pre-roll ads, there are a lot of types of them. Uh, and the second one is partnerships with brand, right? That's mm -hmm. pretty much it. And in um, the difference in scale is basically about 10 times right now. Uh, if we're talking view ads revenue. Okay. So because it works pretty much the same as Google AdSense system, it, it is pretty much the same environment and infrastructure. There's a, a cost per user kind of conversion rate, right? So mm -hmm. like 10 cents for showing it to the viewer more for like conversion, et cetera. And because there are more companies competing for purchasing power in the US, obviously, you know, they're willing to pay much higher. Whereas mm -hmm. a lot of companies and just the economy in general is not as developed in the Russian speaking world as it is in the US and mm -hmm. the English speaking world. So it's mm -hmm. kind of natural that ad revenues are about 10 times smaller if we're talking uh, just pure YouTube revenue ads uh, money. And you mean that uh, in turn, part, you earn 10 times less, right? Yeah, I'm saying if, if with the same view counts as I get, same numbers, my audience were to be English speaking, I would have made just 10 times more and I would probably be quite comfortable at least, you know, average speaking here. Okay. Uh, there are partnerships partnerships sure and a lot of companies are doing it now but also it kind of depends a little bit and there will be some constraints in terms of like it's mostly like a country say russia like nike has nike russia department and sometimes there's some friction if you're like a ukrainian or a belarusian citizen or like kazakhstan mm -hmm. or something uh i think it doesn't apply only to eastern europe but a lot of other markets as well right it's sometimes it's like a huge market segment and there is some friction in terms of like what people you know what nationality you have what work authorization you have uh to be able to make successful partnerships mm -hmm. and does it depend also so you, you explained the geography but doesn't it also depend uh on like industry or the topics you're covering or maybe age of your audience sure um so for example, I always kind of try to be like genderless blogger in a way mm -hmm. uh, because I was a little, not annoyed, but I noticed from day one that 90% of my audience was females, mm -hmm. uh, ladies. And 
I was a little frustrated about that because I didn't think that I made that, you know, female oriented content. It was, it wasn't as still as pretty universal. Like every now and then maybe I mentioned like something that only girls would relate to, but it's definitely not like my agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's quite natural because these days, if you just hear somebody being like, oh, you should check this girl out or like a girl who is a YouTuber, you automatically associate her as a girl that would probably produce contents for girl for the other girls mm -hmm. happens um but and so so i had this dilemma where i tried to kind of distinguish myself and actually even limit in any further content that would be female or female um, oriented even though it would be maybe like one percent of my the entirety of my content but when it came to advertising um i spoke to a couple of different agencies and most monies from my, my perspective would come from skincare and makeup partnerships. Mm -hmm. So, because I guess my, I did mention a couple of different things for tech and like gadgets and other related things, but also as a girl, I would not be like a natural choice for them. Maybe, right. maybe I should have been, right? Because it's actually even smarter if my audience is more female. So they would probably trust me more as an opinion leader. But uh, somehow I just was less on the radar of tech and gadget companies. But as a girl, skincare and makeup is quite digitalized these days. They are actually one of the industries that's quite advanced. You know, they are quite modern in the, in the type of advertising they do. They started working with bloggers way earlier than a lot of other companies did. So... Mm -hmm. Sure, it does depend on um, the content and what product placement could be natural for the type of content you produce. And I think so gadgets and electronics, they do have quite large uh, budgets, banks, but they these days choose to just work with universally like celebrity kind of people, uh, mm -hmm. celebrity bloggers people, and not anybody in particular like finance content. Mm -hmm. So sure, it does, it does vary. Car, car uh, bloggers, I, I've heard of, they have quite successful dealerships, but that's also a little complicated because some want exclusivity and like a lot of the, mm -hmm. a lot of the time, so you can't promise that. Exclusivity was also another aspect. Like if you choose to be exclusive with this one brand, they will probably be likely to pay you way more. So. Interesting, interesting. Uh, you have some wildly successful videos, right? Ones that have close to a million views. Did you expect that? Can you optimize for that? Why do you think on basically all YouTube channels, there are some outlier videos and there are some that are below average even for set channel? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the virality of the video can be... <laughs> predicted somehow, I, I think, mm -hmm. or attempted to be achieved. But um, even like if you talk to a person at YouTube, they don't exactly know uh, how recommendation algorithm is going to affect a particular video. There okay. are a bunch of different factors that they kind of like share and you can read them online and, you know, people who sort of speculate about that or maybe even know some information. And it is actually quite logical, right? So what YouTube wants is for viewers to stay on the platform and what all social media wants. Uh, if anybody has seen Social Dilemma, that kind of summarizes, you know, the mm -hmm. gist of it. They just want the, the audience to stay there for as long 
as possible. So mm -hmm. those content creators who achieve that goal will be favored by the recommendation algorithm. Retention rate, uh, average view count, um, interactions, so comments, likes, all of that is accounted for. Um, how likely a person is to click on your video is usually dictated by the title and the cover. So these are all the factors that you kind of have an effect on and you try to optimize, you try to put yourself in the shoes of the viewer, like what would interest mm -hmm. me? What would I be likely to click on? That's where like clickbait originally came from when people started realizing that it doesn't, you don't always have to just make a good uh, quality video, but if people just click on it, some some ad revenue will come. And actually YouTube has, has become smarter about it. That's where you see some ads being, you know, spaced apart. And mm -hmm. they started realizing that clickbait content doesn't take you very long because if people just click on videos, but they're like, choose to leave first that video and then they will choose to, you know, leave YouTube as a website altogether to go, I don't know, read New York Times or something that captivates their attention more. That's mm -hmm. not good. So what they have decided to optimize more and more over the years is like view count. So, and as a percentage too, as a, both as a percentage and as an absolute number. So some people speculate that it's better to make like a, an hour or two hour long video, but if um, a user is gonna watch 20 or 30 minutes, that's better than making like a 10 minute video. And if an average viewer watches like 95% of it, because in total, mm -hmm the customer would have spent more time on the platform. But these that, are the things that it's, it's kind of semi, it's, it's not written anywhere in the documentation to speak technical terms, right? So it's, it's, it makes sense, right? And we see the algorithm, the recommendation algorithm working in this fashion. So you can try to optimize that, but you can never fully guarantee that a certain video is gonna blow up. And a lot of mm -hmm. the times what I've actually seen with my personal videos is like, sometimes you, release a video and it kind of performs within your range Expected of normality range. exactly yeah. and then sometime later maybe that information is accumulated maybe some mm -hmm. more like a testing by youtube happens you know showing like your video versus another content uh producer's video and at some point like i've seen that where a video would just be you can see that being pushed because it also gives you some of the stats of like how viewers discover your channel, how they discovered a particular video. And it, there are a couple of different ways, right? External references. So me, for example, posting on like my Instagram or my social, like I made a new video, come watch it. And right. this first hour is actually another step. They supposedly um, choose and use in determining how good uh, viewing uh, wise your video is. So if in the first hour people like immediately click and try to watch your video probably means that they are interested in your both personality and the content you produce. And if in the first hour it's kind of like lame, you know, maybe you should wait that less. I'm watching a lot of content about finance and business and investing. And I noticed that in this field, at least most creators choose to create videos that are between like 12 and 15 minutes long. Almost mm -hmm. no one ever does like nine minutes or eight minutes. They always try to do like 11, 12, 13, 15, sometimes 18 minutes. So maybe that's part of the reason might be what you're saying, right? 
like longer there's video. Thing. There's another thing I'm pretty sure, but I, you know, I haven't been as regular in the past like year or so. Right. Uh, but I'm pretty sure um, YouTube allows you to have kind of like spread apart multiple, so more than one overlay video ads if your video is 10 minutes or longer. So viewers right. would be annoyed if you know your video is like five minutes long and it has like 30 right. advertisements spread out throughout. So I think they put in this restriction where uh, if you want more than one, it has to be 10 minutes and, and longer. And maybe that's also something somebody kind of discovered with A-B testing because it's not information that YouTube is willing to reveal. Yeah. Uh, and they have discovered that it is performing well. Right. Could also be a coincidence that, you know, it sort of just falls into that format. Right. Yes, very, very interesting. Uh, one of my one of my favorite bloggers, he's a YouTube blogger, and he was giving an interview. Um, um, he, his book is all about travel, right? And he was given an interview, and uh, um, like the interviewer asked him, like, what is the thing that you shouldn't do on YouTube? And his reply was, don't do travel, right? Is there mm -hmm. something in your opinion something else people shouldn't do on YouTube. It might be because of like financial um, like conditions or might be like the type of content too hard to produce or the audience is too picky. Like if you were to give advice to people starting out on YouTube, what would you suggest, suggest not doing? I could possibly be the wrong person to ask this. And the reason being, as I just described to you, like my goal was not pure numbers. It wasn't both income and like absolute numbers of audience, subscribers, view count. Mm -hmm. um, I sure there's some dopamine in that, you know, self like ego soothing. And I, I like sharing things that I kind of like doing my free time as this creative outlet. Um, and money and view counts is like all these nice perks that I do enjoy, but that is not like the function of my objective is to maximize those. So mm -hmm. it really depends on what your goal is. If you purely just want to be successful and your success is determined by the number of subscribers and view count and money you make, then maybe whatever your favorite YouTube said probably makes sense because the market of travel blogs is oversaturated. Mm -hmm. um, if there is something else, maybe you're working on a personal brand, which sounds like your objective is, right? And that's sort of like the most important factors on all others are, it depends, right, on the level of priorities. You, we all are sort of pursuing, pursuing similar things, but the order mm -hmm. of priorities matters. Uh, in that case, to just try to be different. It sounds super cheesy but just don't go into as those aspects of YouTube already have quite good players at stake maybe, or try to combine areas. Like I think my, my still like interest that people still have like very high retention rate, right? in my videos comes from me combining things that are not typical. Coding, uh, coffee, like living in the US, uh, me being a girl, you know, a software engineer is not the most typical profession of people who look like me. Yeah. Those things that make me interested, maybe people haven't met a person like, like I, one of the reasons also that I try to spread more awareness about just 
that coding, software engineering is actually quite attainable and you don't have to be this math genius to do that is because I wish I had a, like a figure like that. I knew not even in person, like online off, that would have made it easier for me to make the decision to go into this career. Um, so probably people and girls especially don't meet a lot of people like me in real life. So I am right. interesting to them because they have an option of kind of connecting to me through the internet. But if, if you are just your average Joe in a sense, you know, like why would you be interested in watching yourself? Makes sense, makes perfect sense. So you moved to San Francisco and you moved your focus to a full-time serious career in tech. And one of the reasons you've mentioned is you said that you grew tired of having to advertise things that you didn't feel a, like a connection with, or you didn't feel like you really liked. Can you elaborate on that? Like, do you have to do that if you want to earn money on YouTube? And can you like be picky when it comes to advertisers? Like, can you elaborate on your feelings about that? Sure. To the, the latest point, yes, you can be picky. I am the example of picky. Okay. Um, I just, again, my channel is very tightly coupled with my personal brand. Like it is essentially my personal brand. And I've always mm -hmm. kind of made a point of that. So it is relatable because I am translating whatever I'm living through, whatever I'm doing. And so, again, this is my personal opinion. And I know people who, you know, advertise everything from like bidding agencies to the kind of like... I don't know, maybe not so legal things. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just realized that I did not want to go against the principle of only advertising things that I would be happy using on my own and that I would share as a friendly recommendations with my friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and if that collides with a company who's willing and happy to pay me, great. But it just so happens because I am picky, right? And I am quite uh, a picky consumer. Mm -hmm. I would not advertise something that I'm not happy with. And because market in Eastern Europe is not oversaturate, oversaturated with brands willing to work with you, uh, it just so happens that there are very few companies that I am the, the, these days happy to work with. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I guess for me personally, I just realized that I want to be a highly paid professional and keep that ad revenue money and potential partnerships as a perk. Mm -hmm. And this way I just wouldn't go against my personal values. Um, in contrast, I just imagine people, you know, if you're say uh, a TV host or an actor, and you mm -hmm. do brand endorsements, it's almost like you play a different person. Like everybody knows that it's an ad. Um, right. And you can dissociate from your personal brand. But with me, where I'm doing all these things that that's actually my real life, doing around the house, you know, working. And then I'm like, by this, I don't know, something, something, where I'm actually never use that in real life. It just feels kind of like out of line. And people feel that, they detect that, they like, sympathize with that. And those ads that I did have with companies that I uh, admire and that I use personally, they like the numbers did show the loyalty my subscriber have to my uh, opinion. They just trust mm -hmm. it. It's very easy mm -hmm. to lose trust. Um, and more and more companies in the past, like just year, a couple of years, 
realize that that it's not just about paying absurd large amounts of money to very very popular content creators it actually makes sense to kind of chunk out the budget and work with mm -hmm. people who have more um, retention rate and just like trust in their personal brand i understand uh, how can you compare your lifestyle right now that you moved to, like you switched to a different life, basically? How can you compare? Is it like less stress or you didn't have any stress in the first place? Because I guess when you're like a full-time or almost full-time blogger, you always feel this need, this urge to like pass, like create content every single day or like every single week or have a schedule because you, you're worried about, you know, coming out of light, basically. How can you compare your lifestyle and your personal level of satisfaction with your life right now? Sure, I definitely have gone through cycles like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I realized that, and then the funny thing, the moment you're, you're like, you become stressed about, you know, posting regularly, uh, editing, coming up with new ideas, it's kind of like the, the, the less you wanna like do those things because it becomes this like routine. And I realized that and because I was aware enough at that point to realize that money making and just growing subscriber count is not my goal, that would just make me quite unhappy very quickly and would not affect my mental health in a very good way. Mm -hmm. So the moment I realized, realized that I just allowed myself to kind of let go and not follow that trend because I was never like the trendy YouTuber trying to, you know, get those views, but just doing what's like kind of keeping a hand on what's hot right now. Um, so it feels good actually because I'm not in that mindset anymore. And I did have short periods of time when I was, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it just depends on people's personalities as well, how people handle things like that. Uh, I just find that if I keep it as my hobby, I want to work on that more. And it, it's kind of like this outlet to me instead of just like a, like a full-time job. Maybe it's just my personal thing. It's hard to see a purely creative pursuit for me to be like a viable full-time option. And I like to kind of come back to it whenever I need a break. Interesting. Are you coming back to YouTube? Do you have any like plans of starting another channel maybe in English this time? And do you think there is space for a channel that goes uh, how to make it in Silicon Valley or in the Bay Area or like uh, something of this sort? Well, you have to keep in mind that COVID has changed a lot. So even with like whatever people do with San Francisco Bay Area and be an influencer over here, it really depends on whatever happens in the world. Do people still want to kind of gather together in large cities or not? Um, I see more and more that young people, if they do have the option of being remote, they would just travel. So maybe travel blogs, blogs within COVID, COVID and post-COVID like legacy, right? Because it's not going to be an instantaneous that we go back to normality. Maybe that's right. something interesting to explore. Um, but what was your first point? Like, are you thinking about creating a different channel, maybe English speaking mm -hmm. this time, having your experience, not only in YouTube, but also having your experience 
in tech right now? And kind of, is there a sweet spot between like a combination of different, different layers of your life, so to speak? Not so sure about an English speaking channel. It's just because I firsthand know how much time and effort it is. Uh, right. It, it's, ju it's just a lot of time and I'm not sure I have that free time allocated. Um, in terms of any other things that I want to explore and improve in my future content, yeah, I actually want to introduce people to coding in a more friendly way. Um, cool. I know that a lot of people have this like alienation. That was me, you know, before I went right. to college and halfway through college, I just, I was never like a stupid person, but I just mm -hmm. thought of myself as a complete idiot in everything that had to do with technology and coding. And this intimidation doesn't let you, you know, go past it, be curious. And there's mm -hmm. a huge education gap, not just like everywhere in Eastern Europe and like the US around the world, there's a huge education gap in technology. Like we are not, kids are not given the tools that they need with the pandemic just speeding up, you know, the mm -hmm. digital conversion. We just need more, more tech people, software engineers, or just people who are comfortable speaking and understanding the concepts. Like you don't have to code every day, but writing just a simple Python application should be doable and not intimidating, should be doable right. for everyone. So I definitely want to explore that option more and more. Maybe that it will also help me kind of balance out my gender ratio because guys mm -hmm. tend to google technical things a little more but we'll see yeah most people think that it takes a genius to start coding well it's actually well it's actually not super easy but it's basically a normal yeah. job i mean if people study finance and and uh, technology and like electrical engineering coding is pretty much exactly. the same level of complexity so yeah interesting uh, I always ask uh, people on my show about their favorite books on business. Can you name one or maybe you, you have a couple or maybe considering your background, it doesn't have to be on business, like business business. It can be about like creativity or working with content on with, or with people or social media. What's, what's your recommendation? Hmm. Okay. I kind of put a hold on reading non-fiction book books um right. in the past like year or so so it was a little hard for me to come up with something but coming back to this whole youtube channel you know i definitely recommend people if they have this urge to do that and they're doubting to just do it because if nothing if tomorrow you know my channel disappears i've gained a lot of good things from it and one of the best ones is the art of public speaking mm -hmm. um and just your the control over your voice. Yeah, just, I guess, speaking in general definitely improves and being on camera, which is a skill these days that everybody needs with like Zoom and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but coming back to the books, like one of the best books in that direction is how to win people and influence the, the long title everybody knows. Dale Carnegie. Uh, exactly. It's yeah. like... For me, half of it was kind of intuitive and natural, but the other half was actually, hmm, that's a cool tip. I should just, just keep in my short term memory and actually try to use. And a lot of similar tricks do apply in just how to 
make people want to listen to you, how to be mm -hmm. a good storyteller. Those things are super important. I know that you can be like a smart person, but if you if you can't convey your ideas and your stories, well, nobody's going to listen to you. So that's yeah. definitely, even if you don't plan to open a YouTube channel, like take a public speaking course, work with a coach. That's one of those skills that's going to yield you so much in long term. It's very invaluable. Yeah, that's, uh, I personally think that it's one of the greatest books of all time. And I think like some people are turned off because they think the name of the book, the title is kind of cheesy, but it's actually mm -hmm. just because it's so old. Yeah, yeah. Um, Daria, it was a blast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, do you have any recommendations for our listeners when it comes to watching some content? What's your favorite YouTube channel right now? I've actually, the past year, I've been more and more hooked on just like discovering um, IVs and non-IVs, like college courses that are free online on YouTube, series mm -hmm. of lectures. Um, a lot of people forget that a, a lot of either nonprofits or just like educational platforms share their content online. And that's amazing. Um, so Harvard, MIT, Yale, Stanford, a lot of them have YouTube channels. Sure, not all of their lectures are free online, but just find a subject that you are interested in. And that's, that's what I kind of do in my free time. Excellent. Days. Excellent. Daria, again, thank you so much. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.